everyone, Pastor Deborah here, and welcome again to another wonderful spiritual teaching ministry for you. We are continuing on in our wonderful learning and growing and maturing spiritually in the Word of God. We've been working through some of Pastor Deborah's foundational scriptures, Isaiah 61. We're up to verse number 10, and then we'll have verse 11. And when we finish that, we'll start Isaiah 62. These two verses have been pivotal and foundational in Pastor Deborah's spiritual growth. I had to learn, coming out of mental health counseling and no longer helping people in that system, what the Father's heart was, this Lord God that I had been believing in and praying to since I was at least three years old. I was going to be helping him help people his way. I didn't know his way. I didn't know his heart for us. I didn't know his desires or his prophetic words. And when I started learning, I started in the Bible, the Old Testament. There are some new Believers, and there's some new teachers, and even old ones, who say that we don't need to study the Old Testament because it's not of the spiritual realm. And we only need to study the four Gospels and the New Testament because that is for believers. I didn't get that from God myself. I started at the beginning. And of course, I watched a lot of movies. Ben-Hur with Charlton Heston. The Ten Commandments with Charlton Heston. The Story of Ruth with Stuart Whitman. Excellent movie. Jeremiah. David and Bathsheba with Gregory Peck and Susan Hayward. And then some of the other ones. Joshua, Jericho, Samuel. There were so many wonderful stories. Then I even watched a movie about the how the King James Bible came to be. Watched a lot of movies about early Christianity and the Romans. There's an excellent movie to see Christianity in conflict with the Roman Empire called The Decline of the Empire. It's about a precious young lady who moved in the gifts of the Spirit. She was taken hostage, captive, into Rome, challenged by the priest because she had the gifts of the Holy Spirit. I think there's a temple to her now over in that land, and people come and worship there. How about Joan of Arc, who used to hear voices and see visions? She challenged the Catholic Church to help France. Then I read about the the challenges between the Catholic Church and the Protestant Reformation and how the Word of God had to break out from its cell it was put into. And then I read about the ancient Persian Empire. You want to go study ancient history? Go watch the movie, The 300. You'll have words right out of the Bible. When King Darius said he's the king of kings and the lord of lords. And only a god could come against the ancient 300. The Spartans. You go watch some of those old ancient movies. Even the ancient pharaohs believed they were a god. A son of God. One of them, Akhenaten, he finally had a revelation. But there was only one true God, not all the polygods of Egypt that were half animals and half creatures, but just one true God, the sun God. He even built and left the capital and built another place. And they discovered on a tomb, there was even Psalms written early, early, back in ancient Egypt. Gods were a part of humanity. We believed in God. We believed in the heavens. Somewhere along the line, 
humanity stopped a lot of that. The word of God had gone into battle against its enemy, Satan, ignorance. The word of God had been challenged. People who spoke it had been challenged. Even now today, it is being challenged. People have gone into hiding. They've had to have home churches, believe without Bibles. They've been killed for it, burned at the stake. Some of the early believers that helped Pastor Deborah to make this transition from a mental health counselor to helping people the Lord's way were some of the early translators of the Bible. Most of them had been Catholic priests trained up in Latin and Greek. And only the learned men could read it and speak it. Some of the early translators, John Wycliffe, John Huss, what they had done was they believed that the word of God was for everybody, the common person in everybody's tongue and name and language. So they started translating it into the common language. Oh, the Catholic Church rose up, burned them at the stake, burned the Bible, burned the books. Some excellent movies out there. One's called God's Outlaw, John Wycliffe, William Tyndale, John Huss. I watched all of those. It's excellent to see the battle for the Word of God and its truth. There's a lot of other books that didn't make it into the Bible. They're called the Gnostic Gospels. Go read them. You can find them online, the Gospel of Thomas, many of the others. They were more believers in deep spiritual beliefs than what had been translated. Go study ancient Israel. Go study the ancient early Roman Empire that came into Jerusalem. Go study. Go study, study, watch historical dramas, study archaeology, become an archaeologist, dig deep, look, dig, go out on the internet, look at the movies, watch historical dramas. Did you know that God was even in ancient, ancient China? Their early emperors believed in the true God. How I learned that was after the flood, the great flood, that every civilization has a story about. Noah and his wife and his three boys, Shem, Ham, and Jephthah, they all exited the ark somewhere in the Middle East. The three boys and and their wives Oh, they all grew to a big, big family. Maybe millions and millions of people over time. And one of them rose up. And what happened was they started building a big tower. And God had to come down and confuse their language. Called the Tower of Babel. Babel means confusion. And what happened was he spread them out all over the world. Because he expected these three boys to travel. And what I learned was Shem, who had this God of the Bible, the God of the Ark, was his God. His father had stated that. Excellent teaching. Shem went uh, west. Eventually, most of his ancestors ended up in China. That's right. Jepha went north. And Ham, who had dark skin, went south. Now remember, they were repopulating the whole world. And so it took many thousands and thousands of generations to get to where we are today. But my studying to learn how to help you, the Lord's way, had many wonderful turns and twists, books and movies, true stories. I read and reread, took note, watched movies over and over, 
read the Bible, wore out many of them. Then I also got into a church that was having a revival called the Brownsville Assembly of God Revival back in 1995. I missed it by six weeks. I had, at that time, on Father's Day, 1995, I was in a Lutheran church, small one. I had grown up in church on the military bases. We went to a church, and we don't know what denomination we had. It was either a Protestant of some kind, and then the next service was a Catholic, and the next one was probably Jewish. So I had sort of non-denominational bringing up. I knew nothing about the gifts of the Spirit, speaking in tongues, the move of God. I knew nothing. I really knew nothing about even Martin Luther, who the Lutherans were named after. But once I started getting touched at this Brownsville revival, laying on the floor every night for about two and a half hours, being in the presence of God, hearing powerful preaching to call us out of sin and darkness and get right with God, and hearing beautiful praise and worship music I had never heard. Something clicked in me. I'll never forget it. I was laying on the on my sofa reading the Bible. I was in the Ten Commandments in the Old Testament, and all of a sudden, a light came on. I understood the Ten Commandments. That the first five or how we were to interact, believe in, worship God. And our relationship to him. The second five was how we were to be in a relationship. How we were to interact. Feel about. Treat. Humanity. Our neighbor. A revelation happened one night. I, The word of God became alive in me. I had an aha moment. And then on, I went to the library. That had always been my source of help. I read books on early Christianity. How did Sunday school get started? How did great awakenings come to America? Who were these early believers and teachers and evangelists? How was America settled? I learned it was from the followers of Cromwell. Cromwell was an early person in England who didn't believe in the monarchs. Great movie about him. Cromwell, you go read about him uh, and how he actually killed one of the kings of England. So the pilgrims came over. They were rebels. They didn't believe in kings and monarch. They wore black and white, Cromwell's colors. They wanted to throw away kings and monarch. The problem was the Bible was about kings. And how the King James Bible came into effect. He was the son, King James of Mary, Queen Mary of Scotland, who was the daughter of Henry VIII and was the sister of Queen Elizabeth I. Well, Queen Mary had never had any more children. Queen Elizabeth I died childless. So here comes King James. He had been in Scotland And so he became the king of Scotland, Ireland, Wales, and England. And when he he had been raised up Protestant, had a wonderful teacher. His teacher believed, learn the word. But don't have anybody, I'm not going to tell you the interpretation. Let the Holy Spirit be it. So when King James got into England as king, there was two Bibles, the Bishop's Bible and the Geneva Bible. The Bishop's Bible was written by former Catholic priest, and it wasn't very well written. It had a lot of commentaries about sort of the Catholic Church. The, the Geneva Bible was sort of written by the early pilgrims, people who didn't like monarchy and gold and all the stuff that the Bible had talked about. It had a lot of commentaries about that monarchy wasn't right. So these two Bibles were not appropriate. So King James said, throw them out. You can still find them out there in bookstores. And he said, create me a Bible. That's just the pure translation 
of the Hebrew and the Greek, Aramaic. No translations. So out came the authorized King James Bible. My Holy Spirit is my interpreter. He tells me what it means. I do use the Webster's Dictionary and the Strong's Concordance. That's all. I will look up one word, Lord, God, praise, worship. Just that one word. And look at it in the dictionary, Strong's Concordance. Follow out all the scripture references to that word. Sometimes that is how I study and still do. Most teaching and preaching in a church does not do that. Most of it are now denominational, slant, with those commentaries and their beliefs. And not from the Holy Spirit. Did you know that Pastor Deborah started hearing the voice of God very early? Have a relationship with him now. You know, he laughs and he cries and he gets stern. Yeah. Well, I told that to a pastor working in a homeless shelter. That God and I had a relationship and some days he is funny. Other days he's sad and grieving. And this pastor who went had a doctorate of divinity, went to a Bible college, was an officially hired, employed pastor, chaplain of this homeless shelter. He didn't believe me. He didn't believe that God talked to us. Didn't need to anymore. Just read the word. We didn't need to have a relationship with him. And he, him and I sort of battled a little bit. He thought I was funny. Probably thought I was mentally ill because I told him I heard the voice of God. And he said, you don't need to hear his voice. Just read his word. That's all. Nothing else. So I had to learn there were so many different beliefs about this God. Boy, was it hard. But I stayed in that revival at Brownsville Assembly of God, Pensacola, Florida. It became a global revival with millions and millions and millions of people. Steve Hill was the evangelist. He had seen the power of God in Argentina because he had been involved in a revival down there. The pastor of Brownsville Assembly of God, Pastor John Kilpatrick, had prepared his church for two years for a revival. None of them knew what that meant. He changed the order of service. He had thrown down his keys and said he was not satisfied. Oh, he was on television, young-looking, handsome man, had a thousand-member seat sanctuary, and about a thousand or so members. But he had been hearing from Steve in Argentina. There was more to God, so much more than they ever knew as Assembly of God ministers. Even though they are what you call Pentecostals, which means Pentecost, they believed in the Power of the Holy Spirit coming down, dancing, singing, worshiping, being joyful in the Lord. And it also meant that the spirit realm. But neither one of them. Steve had never seen a demonic manifestation. Had never been taught about demonics. The evil spiritual part of the realm of the spirit. Pastor John had cast out devils. But he quietly didn't do that anymore. They toned down a lot of their spiritual manifestations in church didn't teach on it and then it broke out on Father's Day 1995 June I missed it by six weeks I had been in Canada and I saw it in newspapers people laying out on the floor once I got there I stayed there God started teaching me opening up the spirit realm moving in the gifts of the spirit I got on the prayer team after about a year Went through the classes for deliverance. Got on the deliverance team. There I stayed for years and years and years. Learning and growing. Seeing things I had never seen in mental health counseling. Learning things I had never learned. The first time I saw a demonic manifestation. One night in a church service. When somebody was receiving prayer for more of the Lord. A touch. This lady rose up as a cat. Then she passed out. As they put her in a wheelchair, she rose up again. She started hissing and barking. 
And I said to myself, if the mental health counselor saw this, she would have had a straight jacket on and have been taken straight to the psychiatric hospital in town. I was never afraid of the demonic manifestations. I knew nothing about it. It's not talked about in mental health counseling. They would have called her psychotic and put her on heavy-duty medication. What I learned this lady was a high witch from a nearby town called Bruton, Alabama. She had come there to curse the revival, spew out words, cast spells. But something touched her, set off the things that were inside of her. And that was my beginning of helping people the Lord's way. And I went to the Sunday school class for deliverance ministry for about a year. Bought the book. They were working out of the book written by the Robinsons, who had been Assembly of God ministers in Costa Rica. They were evangelists. And they had seen demonic manifestations. They went through the Bible and found the scriptures. They defined each one of them out like spirit of fear, spirit of infirmity, spirit of antichrist, spirit of bondage. I think we had 17 of them or more. And in the deliverance ministry, that's what we were learning to cast out. We used their book. We used their prayers. We had a big tree that had all this fruit on it, like the spirit of antichrist. And it showed scripturally all the different fruit of that spirit, the strong man of Antichrist. And these were in people. I never believed it, never heard of it in mental health counseling. I saw things that mental health counselors didn't see. People slithering on the floor, barking as dogs. Eyes rolled back in their head. People contorted and twisted. I saw things that if you had seen it, you would thought we were in a psychiatric hospital and a person was having a psychotic break. Schizophrenia for sure. But I was never afraid for some reason. I saw things. I could look into the human body and see the spirits. I could look directly in their eyes. I could see them move them in the physical body. I could see the human spirit in there. I didn't talk to anybody on the team because this was all new to me. That's where I began learning how to help you the Lord's way. In a church, going after God, on the deliverance ministry, on the prayer team. I used to put my hand like this and just touch you lightly on the forehead and say, touch him, Lord. And down you would go. Fire would come from me to you. I had had that for about a year myself. And I'd lay on the floor two and a half hours under the glory blanket of the Lord, they called it. Couldn't open my eyes and I couldn't move. I could hear everything. I wasn't unconscious. God had taken away all my spiritual strength. I'm sorry. Had taken away all my physical strength. So he could touch, talk to, minister to. Directly to my spirit. The spirit world was opening up to me. Spiritual gifts were becoming released in my life. God had a work for me to do. I didn't know what it was. But he started me off with basic things. So I started off in Isaiah 61 and 62. And I still pray it for you today. In every video. Because God tells us. He only watches over his words that he has spoken. And he has had sent to our world. And he plants those word words in dry places. And he waters them himself. And he expects them to grow and bring back fruit to him. And he's waiting for that. He doesn't watch over denominational words, non-denominational words, any other sort of supposed to be gods. He only watches over his words. So I had to learn him first and his heart and his desires and his prophetic words to help you the Lord's way. I still love mental health counseling and the counselors 
a psychologist and psychiatrist. They help us in the realm of the biological spirit, of the in the biological body, and in the soul, the biological brain. They love you. They don't want to see you depressed and hopeless and having issues. And within their understanding and knowledge, they're trying to help you. A lot of times there's a clash between the spiritual and the natural. And pastors and psychiatrists don't get along. But I love the psychiatrists. They love your body. They want you to have good thinking. They want your life to be happy and pleasant. It isn't pleasant to go back through your memories and look at all the bad things that happened. Why you are the way you are. It's not easy. And I remember being a mental health counselor. I wanted to help you. And I thought I knew how. I was had a master's degree. Did neuropsychological testing. I was nationally clinically certified as a clinical mental health counselor. I worked on the National Board of the American Mental Health Counselors Association. Traveled to Washington, D.C. as a lobbyist. Lobbied and met with congressmen and senators. Wrote national legislation. I was also on another committee that worked with universities and college professors to write the curriculums that master's level people need to have to be licensed in their states. Licensing had come in. I was licensed in the state of Florida in the area of medical quality assurance. I was a medically qualified sort of doctor. I could diagnose your mental problems and treat them. I worked closely with the medical community. Upon getting my license, my first job was in a local rehabilitation hospital with people with head injuries, spinal cord injuries, burns, strokes, any kind of physical or mental injury. They were in the hospital, sometimes for months, learning how to walk again, talk again, use their arms again. I sat on a team with a physiatrist. He's a doctor over the patients of that part of the hospital. I worked with medical social workers, physical therapists, speech therapists, occupational therapists, nurses. Had a lot of training, education. From the doctors. I even went to a conference at the hospital with the first doctor who did the first heart transplant. I was becoming medically knowledgeable. I worked with a neuropsychologist who worked with the head injuries, did a lot of his neuropsychological testing. I worked with children, adults, seniors. I got to travel for the veterans to Las Vegas. They worked with the spinal cord injury patients. Did a lot of testing. A lot of group therapy. A lot of outpatient work. That was my beginning on helping you. But I got my hand slapped. Because I wanted to give a Bible to a patient. I wanted to get him in touch with the chaplain. And the medical people didn't like that. They said that's not the job of a mental health counselor. I wasn't well liked by the people there because I had a license and the girl before me didn't have it and she was well liked. It was a hard walk, but I did it well. Then I went into private practice. We'll call it Christian counseling because I wanted to help people the Lord's way. That didn't work out. Then I went to work for a psychologist who worked in nursing homes and did a lot of neuropsychological testing and evaluation. I did that. Had my own private practice with him. But that didn't work out either. God was taking me out of that world slowly. And he slowly took everything away from me. Then from there, I went and did GED testing, ACT, SAT testing in a college here. A lot of testing. I was very good at it. And slowly my money just kind of shrank. 
And eventually, I had no job. Nothing. So for about a year, I was kind of depressed. I what, couldn't use my master's degree, my license. I kept going to training, free training and education. I was no longer on the National Board of the American Counseling Association or as a District 1 representative for mental health counselors. I was at home without a job, no profession, no identity. And that's when God showed up. He took everything away from me of that world and started me down his road. Slowly, night by night, little bit by little bit. I knew God was in a hurry because the evangelist Steve Hill told us God was in a hurry to reach out to people. People were dying all over the world. And Satan was winning in the eternal world. And God was in a hurry to get us raised up, touched, so we could be about his work. Which I didn't know what it was. But he slowly helped me. And Isaiah 61 was one of those foundational scriptures in the book. So let's get into Isaiah 61. We've been working in verse number 10. We're beginning part number nine. I go very slow. That's how I was taught. God will help you to get the deep spiritual information. And I'm slowly getting a lot of my story up in the kingdom of Agape Love, volume one, in the school of light, true stories that happened to me. In the kingdom of Agape Love, volume two, will be more true stories of me helping you in the darkness. True events. And it still goes on today. I move out of most of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. 24-7 if I need to. So here in Isaiah 61, verse 10, we're going to pick up in today's teaching of the Teleministries series of education for you. But first, let's open up with a prayer that will set the stage Invite the Holy Spirit to be our teacher for you to begin listening and learning. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have called all of us to yourself. You've made a way for us. You've given us a master teacher, the Holy Spirit. Even if we don't have the book, the Bible, you can teach us through nature, experiences, talk to us in dreams. We thank you that you desire for us to be learned in you and the realm of the spirit, in the realm of spirit and light. Thank you, Father, for giving us your word that was made flesh, yourself, in the form of Christ Jesus, and anointing him as the king here on earth through the Holy Spirit. Thank you for the Holy Spirit being our master teacher, and for you sending us angels if necessary bringing us movies, books, and true stories of people you have touched. Thank you for continuing to help us so that your victory on the cross is upheld and fulfilled. Thank you for giving us Isaiah 61 and 62. And Father, give us a Hebrews 4.12, a spiritual circumcision that will bring our spirit up out of our soul and out of its lust of its flesh so you can directly as this video is showing us touch us and father thank you for giving us the holy spirit your light in the name of christ jesus amen i want to give a big thank you to pixabay this is one of their free motion videos this light over here represents us as the wearing the white robe of righteousness. Pure beings of light. In Isaiah 61 verse 10. We've been talking about the white robe of righteousness. God's trying to help us to understand. What it's like. What it's for. What it's supposed to look like. He's described it as a robe. A clothing. A covering. 
like this. Wait. Each one of these lines represent us. Our robes are covering our being. He says the white robe is as dazzling and glorious as all the jewels that a bridegroom would deck himself out. What will help you understand what that looks like. Go look at ancient historical Chinese weddings of emperors and his wives or concubines. Beautiful, beautiful gowns. And he also says this white robe of righteousness is as beautiful as the jewels that adorn a bride. Go look at some of those movies. Look at ancient history when a king, a pharaoh, a prince or a princess would get married. Beautiful. He says that's what the white robe of righteousness is. What it looks like in the realm of the spirit. So that's what we've been working through to help us understand. that Once we get born again, after our death on a cross through belief, we get new clothes. And the white robe of righteousness is the clothes, sort of the body for the spirit. And we've been working through here in this part, Isaiah 61, verse 10. We've been working through the book of Job, uh, verse 2. And Job was a character who had a, a blessings from God. But a challenge occurred from Satan to God about Job up in the heavenlies. Job knew nothing about this challenge, this bet. The bet was Satan says, if I take everything away from him, he'll curse you. He only blesses you because you give him things. And God said to Satan in private, okay, you can take everything away. And Satan was allowed to touch Job's family. His business, his children. And at that point, Satan was waiting for the anger, the sadness of Job to curse this God and then die. Well, it didn't work. So Satan went back to God and said, let me touch his body, the sickness and disease. He'll curse you. I promise you. And God said, go ahead, Satan. You may touch his body. But you may not kill him. So Job got boils and who knows what. And he got so bad he had to go out and leave his wife. Remember his children are gone. His sheep, his goats, his cattle, his workers. He's all alone. His wife even tells him to curse God and die. He goes out in the wilderness. Maybe he has boils, smallpox, who knows what. And his three friends come and sit with him. They don't help. And in the end, Job held he said, no matter what happens to me, I came into this world with absolutely nothing. And I will leave this world with nothing. But I will not curse God, my God, my Lord, who gave me life. I will not curse him. So we have been working through Job 2, 10 through 25. And that's where we're going to pick up right now in this teleministry. Isaiah 61, verse 10, part number 9. We're going to pick up in verse 15. This is Job speaking to us. Spiritually behold, he, a spiritual forever person, can spiritually Withhold the spiritual waters, the words, the actions, the truth, the light, the deliverance of another. And these spiritually dry places become the territory. So when you are a pastor, a teacher, somebody trying to help somebody else, if you don't have truth, Job is saying, you can hold somebody in captivity of ignorance. 
you can keep them trapped without you even knowing it. That's what I was doing as a mental health counselor. I didn't know it, though. I was working in the realm of the soul, or the biological brain is. I was working in connection with medicine, psychiatrists, electric shock treatments, drugs and alcohol. But he is saying here, spiritually, light can be held from you. And the spiritually dry, that means having no truth and water spiritually. Also he, this righteous forever person, who has been given the spiritual key of David. We learned when you get your white robe of righteousness, you get a key of authority and dominion, which goes back to Genesis 1, 26 through 28. Every human spirit has a key waiting for them that can unlock doors and lock doors, that has the power to set captives free or keep them locked up. It is the key that opens authority, dominion, and power for you on the planet. Just this righteous forever person who has been given this key, when you get the white robe of righteousness, the spiritual keys of David. David was a king, a political leader. He was not a prophet. He was not a priest at the time. Those were all separated. He had a relationship with God, but he was to lead the people. He was to be a manager. He was to set rules and judge people. Great movie to understand David. Is David. Ex- excellent. Go watch and study David. David was a leader, political leader, an administrator, a manager. He had to do international relationships, had to study treaties. He had to receive emissaries. He had to give gifts, receive gifts. He had to understand politics. He wasn't the priest. He was under the priest. He was under the prophet. He had to submit to God through them. Even though he had his own relationship, he didn't hear from God daily. He didn't seek God a lot. But God gave him gifts to help him in his position. So he had some keys of authority and dominion. And he had the keys to hell, death, and the grave. Spiritually speaking. I learned about that myself. And you'll hear about that in other stories. About me going to hell. And working. With a young man. Who had murdered people in the Boston Marathon. The story is called 72 Virgins. His younger brother is still alive and imprisoned. He came to me. One day I'm out in the yard. And asked if his brother was in heaven, paradise. They were, they were Islamic believers, fundamental believers, and they had done some damage up in the Boston Marathon years ago. And I had to tell this young Sanara brother, no, his brother was not in heaven. He did not believe in the God that Pastor Deborah believed in. So his brother loved him so much. We went to hell. I learned I had the keys to hell. I went, preached, spoke to this young man's brother in hell. Stopped the torment of the demons. He got saved in hell. You'll read about that in the story. The 72 virgins. You'll see it in the video soon. Right now it's on the website of Agape Love. Love is here. Dot org. 72 virgins. I was able to speak to this young man. And he accepted Christ Jesus as the Lord, not Allah. Him and his brother went to the throne room of God to meet this God. 
the younger brother couldn't stay there. He was still alive. And he knew he was going to be in prison for the rest of his life. And he didn't think he could do anything. But he was already moving in the spirit. He said, you can leave your body. And you can go work with, teach other people from Islam. In their dreams, in the realm of the spirit, when they're in the mosque. More fundamentalists. You can go help the ISIS people in prison. Talk to them. Spirit to spirit. And get them saved like your brother. I had some powerful experiences in the realm of the spirit to reach the human spirit. At the time I was beginning, I didn't know this. Never heard of such stuff in mental health counseling. But there was another way to help people the Lord's way. And I had to learn it. So here we're learning in this verse that we get some keys to hell, death, and the grave from King David with the white robe of righteousness. And also we can bring and send forth as as rivers of life this power, this glory. That we are and have in the white robe of righteousness. And they, these waters, these words of life will overflow the earth. When you read a statement like that out of the Bible, does it mean the physical world? Yes. Does it mean the world inside of the dirt? The physical body. Yes. Does it mean the biological system of the earth? And these rivers of life flow into your nerves. And Yes. I had to learn that God is working deep inside of us. He has a strange language. A lot of stories, parables. Imagery. His words to him are as a river of life flowing. His words are light. Have you ever looked at white light that comes into a diamond? It breaks out into all the colors of the rainbow. Light is on different magnitudes, strength, different frequencies, has different colors in it. I had to learn science and physics to understand this God. Even understanding white light. That's right. So the white robe of righteousness is a powerful covering. Clothes. Filled with honor and dignity. Jewels and glory. And with it were given a key. You'll see a lot of people wearing it around their waist. You'll see it when we're handed, when the king gets his coronation. He gets handed a lot of things, orbs, scepters. They are the keys to the river of life. They are the keys to doors. They are the keys to unlocking things that have been locked away. They are the keys that help people get set free. I had to learn this. None of this was taught in mental health counseling. I had to go slow through the words. Slow through scriptures. I had to have personal experiences. I had to see the white rope. I had to learn about the keys. I had to study David. Over and over and over again. And so Isaiah 61. Is prayed every video. It is God's heart to us. He tells us of our captivity. In the first few verses. He tells us why he anointed his word of God. His son. Christ. Inside the dirt body. Named Jesus. Why he had to come to the earth what his purposes were, what the goals were, 
what he was to say and do. So that his word, way, way back when Isaiah wrote this, would be planted. And when Christ Jesus even showed up in the temple, before he got going in his ministry, he read Isaiah 61 and said, I think he read maybe four verses of it. Said he had come to set the captives free, and he was anointed of God. And today, in your hearing, these words are fulfilled. The word had been sent thousands of years ago through Isaiah, written down. And here came a young man, a carpenter, and said, Today, these words are fulfilled in your hearing. Shocked those people in the temple. In that small town of Nazareth. Who was this young man? He was just Joseph's son. The carpenter. He had made a startling statement. Today. In your hearing. These words. That the word of God had come. The son of the living God was here. To set the captives free. The key of David was being used to unlock doors. The rivers now were flowing. The dam had been broken. In your ears, it had started. What had been waiting, waiting and waiting, growing, waiting, was now beginning. You see that in the movie, Jesus Of Nazareth. I think it's a six hour movie. Excellent movie to watch. Go slow. Watch it over and over and over again. A lot of movies about Jesus. A lot of great ones on DVD. Probably on YouTube. Watch them. Study him. Listen to his words. He's speaking spirit words. He's speaking from his white robe of righteousness. Because he was in a right standing with the Lord. He had not sinned spiritually. He came filled with the Holy Spirit after his baptism. He was to sacrifice himself for you. And he took all of your sin from your ancestors all the way back to Adam, your disobedience, your separation, all your ick. Put it on himself. So he could take away. Everything that was in you. Part of your life. That separated you from his father. This Christ Jesus. Was a strange man. He always spoke about his father. Said my father and I are one. You hear me you hear him. He never pointed his finger. At himself. He was God's representation. God's word. God's living being on earth. It was the Holy Spirit in this young man. This Christ. This anointed king of heaven. Speaking to us. Through his body of Jesus. Many people get stuck at the door. Which is Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. They don't open it up. And get to the Christ. The king. Of the kingdom of heaven. They don't open the door and go into the word and realize the word is the father. It's really the father himself on the cross. People think it was Jesus. It was. But he said, my father and I, we are one. We are the same. He is in me and I am in him. The word of God itself. God's own heart, mind, went to the cross. Took everything that legally had separated humanity from this righteous father, this righteous king, on himself. He was made to be sin. And he took the sting of death and he was punished. He went into hell for a while and he started speaking, evangelizing. Getting the keys of hell, death, and the grave back from Satan, who had been given that authority as Lucifer. 
to watch over people who were in sin to keep them separate and apart from God. Well, this Jesus went down there, got the keys and opened all the doors, let out Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, let out Noah and his family, let out Adam and woman, let out all the Old Testament believers, everybody, and said, come with me. They followed him up in his train, sort of like this, and they all went up to the throne room of God, delivered. They had been waiting down there, locked up in prison cells under the authority of Satan, who at that time still had the keys to hell, death, and the grave, King David's keys. But God got them back legally, and righteously. So here in just this verse alone. You learn about more. About the white robe. Of righteousness and the keys. That it provides. You learn about the rivers of life. That are supposed to be coming from you. Flowing out of you. That his light. Coming through you. Can reach others. So I want to stop here. In just this one verse. So you can ponder, self-reflect on yourself and others that you are listening to. This is deep stuff. And it takes a while for you to understand deep spiritual teachings. You got to have a lot of history behind you. If you don't have a Bible, that's okay. You don't have dictionaries or movies. Or internet, that is okay. God will use nature. Dreams. He'll send angels to you while you sleep or awake. You'll have visions. He'll take you places in the spirit. A lot of you are here right now in the spirit. Here in the garden. Learning. Watching through another physical body. A lot of you are here now. God will not leave you alone to be ignorant. He has ways to help teach you that you don't know what. Ways in the spirit. Ways in the natural. I know your heart is seeking. I see it all the time on LinkedIn. I know there's something that you're trying to find. Help other people with. Find answers to. That you just don't know yet. I do a lot of work. And I always tell people. We're all one family. A lot of our brothers and sisters. Are run away from home. They're being held captive. They've been taken into human trafficking. Kidnapped. By emotionalism. By others. For many different reasons. Business. They've sold themselves. For money. Pleasure. Politics, but they are still our family. They are our brothers and sisters, and we are to love them and try to rescue them and help them. Each of us has a different part in this work. Mine is through teleministry, videos, spirit work, radio shows, study, praying for you. Connecting. You hear a lot about that. Sometimes I'm not giving certain people to help. Other times they're thrown in my lap. And I have to walk a walk until God says time is over. So you be encouraged. Through this teleministry series, we're going slow. Through Isaiah 61. We still have more scriptures to finish out in Job. About the white robe of righteousness. We'll get there. And then we'll do Isaiah 61. Verse 11. And then we'll be finished. And we'll start Isaiah 62. And after that we'll do another one. Probably the Hebrews 4.12. Which is a deep spiritual. Teaching. Then we'll work through other. Scriptures. I'm a slow teacher. You go watch a lot of the movies. That I talked to you about. 
Watch them over and over again if you can. If you can't, ask God to give you a dream or a vision about it to talk to you. He will help you if you'll ask him. He'll lead you and guide you where you need to go for the work he has planned for you. He has people for you to reach, family members that have gone astray, people you don't know yet. So you go to him. He will help you. So in the name of Christ Jesus of Nazareth, the son of the living God, the word of God made flesh, the one who now sits on the right hand of this king of heaven, In his name, in the Holy Spirit, our master teacher of spiritual things, our governor from the kingdom of heaven, to help us become citizens of heaven, righteous citizens, righteous family members, in right standing with the king. And in the name of the Father, the king of heaven, the great I am, the creator himself, We pray. Amen. All right. I'll see you on the next teleministry. Should be number 10, I think. We'll pick up in verse 16 of Job. Bye. Bye.